When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. I'm Kristen Gallerno. I'm based in Detroit. And uh, also joining us today, we have Chris Watson joining us from Southeast England. Um, no, uh, Northeast England. <laughs> Northeast England, I'm sorry. Newcastle upon Tyne, near the Scottish border. Okay. And we also and we also have Jana Vinderin joining us from somewhere in Norway. Um, I'll let you introduce where you are. <laughs> Yes, I'm just north of uh, of Oslo on a farm. Okay, cool. And um, you've both had multiple releases on Touch Records, which is how I actually came to know uh, both of your works. Although, Chris, you were a founding member of Cabaret Voltaire, and obviously in my, my teens and 20s, that band was quite influential. Um, you've also both collaborated on different projects, um, and I found it really interesting that on the Unsound Intermission compilation that we're here to talk about today, um, your tracks are bookends on either side. They both start, they're the intro and the outro of the compilation, which I thought was a really sweet touch. Um, you both have dealt with capturing moments in nature that are um, difficult to access or trying to capture things that are not usually heard, things that often lie outside of the normal range of human hearing, infrasound, ultrasound, things like that. Um, and um, Yana, I know that you've done a lot of work with recording uh, waterscapes, the deep ocean, ice, also insects, um, and places where technology generally needs protection in order to uh, to function. And um, Chris, I know during the pandemic you were recording close to home, but you've also recorded in some amazingly exotic landscapes uh, for nature documentaries and, and things like this. And I was trying to think of like what drew all of our projects together that we worked on for Unsound. I produced a essay and a film essay, and then the essay in the book kind of shows some stills from my film essay, which is a funny loop uh, that happens. Um, the work that we produced for, for Unsound is sort of variously tied up with ideas of melancholy and urgency and the ideas of close listening, um, practices of listening close to home, and all, of course, under the sort of unforeseen impacts of the COVID pandemic and our, our different lockdown experiences that have happened across several continents and several countries. Um, so it's cool that we're able to join together today uh, and just kind of talk about these things. And I know mm -hmm. some most listeners, in fact, will probably be somewhat familiar with your work, but I was wondering if we could just take a quick step backwards and if you could sort of talk about how your interest in sound culture started and when you first started making field recordings. Um, so whoever wants to take that first. Yeah, would you like to start? Yes. Um, 
In terms of going outside and uh, recording, uh, I think I would say when I was in London, actually, I was starting to walk around the Thames and uh, recording there. Uh, I had decided to stop making uh, physical objects <laughs> and I'm I coming from this kind of science background like, and then going into art uh, and making large sculptures. But I stopped making uh, objects and started to record sound actually back then. Even though I will say really from really early on, I was three weeks old when I was brought down to the ocean by my mother. Mm. So, you know, I started to remember <laughs> and record in my brain already the ocean then. That's great. And Chris? Um, I, um, I think we've all had sort of similar journeys into sound, but I, I mean, like Jana, I started, you know, when I was a lot, lot, lot younger, when I was 12 or 13, I think it was. My parents bought me a reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder for either my birthday or Christmas, I can't remember which. Uh, and I've still got it in my studio. It's a national, Japanese national reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder. And um, I don't think I asked for it, but I was just totally captivated by it. And and eventually, after recording everything in the house, sort of the, the back of the refrigerator and squeaking doors and my parents' voices, which is still quite powerful because I've still got them. Um, but I realised it had batteries in it so I could take it outside. And I had this moment when, where we lived in, in Sheffield at the time, um, we, um, my parents had a bird table in the back garden and I could look out of our kitchen window and see this bird table and see the activity. But I couldn't hear it, of course, because I was inside. And I, um, at some point, as a say, 12 or 13 year old, I realized this thing had batteries in it. So I could take it outside and, and I went outside and frightened all the birds off and then put some, bird, some bread and bird seed on the bird table and hung the microphone by the bird table and the recorder underneath and set it going. It only had about eight minutes of tape and I came back inside and eventually some of the birds returned, blue tits and great tits and common British garden birds. Um, and I could see the wheels going around, which is the great thing about analogue recording. I could see the process, um, which I then became fascinated with. Anyway, so I went and got this recording back, frightened all the birds off again um, and took this recording inside. and. Uh, I like to think I can remember that moment when I played that recording back and I was taken, you know, as Jana does so beautifully with her work, I was taken to another world, another place where we can never be um, because our, our presence would disturb the behaviour and it wouldn't happen. So it was, it was all sorts of things. It was time shifting. It was uh, dropping into another world, this magical world that we could see but can't hear. Um, and all that. And just as a teenager, I was just fascinated by all that. And then I discovered, this is a long time ago, you know, the 1960s, mid to late 1960s, I discovered music concrete and the work of the French composers, Pierre-Henri, Pierre Schaeffer, 
and, and, and couldn't believe it that adults, grown-up people, were playing around with tape recorders and making music. And so that led me down that route and exploring the creative potential of tape recorders, I think. So that was it. Yeah, interesting. Uh, speaking of creaking doors and trying to record worlds that you know, sort of resist being <laughs> recorded. I think like, <laughs> this is kind of a completely different world, but um, I think one of my earliest memories of trying to record sound was my mom and I lived in this house that had a lot of, let's say, unexplained activity. <laughs> um, oh, wow. And uh, when we moved into the house, it was sort of occupied by the former tenant's belongings, which was an extra layer of strangeness. There was a piano there, and sometimes the piano would sound at night <laughs> with no... So I'm sure there's some kind of scientific explanation behind why that would happen, just in terms of temperature fluctuations or things like that. Um, but hidden in the top of the piano bench was this little tape recorder that whoever had lived there before had used to record like their playing. And so I remember just sort of like listening back to those old recordings. My mom bought me some blank tapes and um, we would often try to um, sort of record and capture things. And of course, nothing ever came out. Um, but as a kid, it was interesting to live in this very um, sort of tension filled space that had these strange um, sort of histories of supposed paranormal activity. Um, so that has kind of carried on through my um, practice too. Of course, none of that really appears in my work for Unsound, but um, that's, um, you know, I've, I've written a lot about that stuff. So it's interesting how mm. we all have these, <laughs> even when our worlds are completely separate <clears throat> and different from one another, there's still these interesting overlaps that happen. Um, but I, I really like Kristen, I really like your observations on sound. You're very eloquent, your descriptions of it, and it's very powerful, it invokes, you know, I can hear what you're writing about, um, both in text and, and, and the film in particular. So I think that's a, a good connection between, between yeah. the three of us. Well, you know, you invoke those spirits and sense of place, which, you know, you probably experience. Yeah. Do, do you know the work of James Kirby, the caretaker? Yeah, British yeah. Guy? But I mean, yeah. I think you, as soon as you mentioned that piano and an old tape recorder, it immediately reminded me of, of his work, which is really sort of deeply spiritual in, in that sense. Yeah. I, I love listening to his work. Yeah, absolutely. And he's, he's just had some um, releases recently that I still need to dig into, but um, thankfully he's a relatively prolific also, but... Um, so I know that like there's, um, and thank you, by the way, um, for, for picking up on that connection. Um, I know that we all kind of went through challenges during the pandemic, whether it was just motivation to do things or challenges around the sort of physical limitations of doing things in ways that we would normally would that affect the creative conditions under, you know, which we make work during a pandemic. And I was just wondering if anything um, has changed for you during the course of the pandemic and how you approach sound. Other than being at home with our pets, my cat is currently meowing in the background. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I will say I listen very, in, I listen a lot now. I mean, I, I live now in the middle of this the fields all around and there is kind of road that goes all around the outskirts of uh, all the field 
Um, and this, the farm where my studio is, is kind of in the center. So I, I have all of this stuff happening all around all the time. And there has been, for example, I would say that I had some swans that were flying over every day and I could hear them like from really, really far away every morning, sort of, they come around nine and then I can hear them kind of really, really the other way. So it's been kind of, but when more cars have come back, you know, it was more in the, about a year ago, um, it starts masking so much this, the space, you know, and the, I become so enormously aware of that, you know, I'm mainly working a lot underwater, you know, where this is, of course, a constant uh, problem with, um, but uh, we're so accustomed to the amount of uh, human made sound above water. So it's kind of, uh, it's there, but now Now when when it it wasn't there, I really started the spaces opened up so much and I could hear the small smaller birds also you know the great tit here is like a i just got a personal relationship to the great tit here now god knows when i'm coming out uh, of the door going out to uh, another house here and he's just like around my head and i don't know it's all the time so we just got very uh, sort of feeling more part of this so i i think this for me listening in in air very it has changed <laughs> in the sense because I have been at one place for so long. But of course, it's, a, it's turned totally, my life has turned upside up down in terms of how I uh, was living because, of course, I was traveling constantly mm-hmm. and coming to new places all the time. So this kind of being in one place and listening in one place for so long and going like now in the circle of a whole year and I see things are reoccurring, like the wood pigeons just sort of mating at the same branch as they did uh, last year at this time. And it's so great to just see this uh, happening, you know? So, yeah. Uh, Jana, can I ask you, have you come to terms with, because I know you're a great traveler, and have you come to terms with not traveling? And did you have to, did did you find it a struggle to adjust? I mean, I have to say I did, but I'd like to know your opinion. No, absolutely. I mean, it's very, very, very different. uh, And it has been, well, I I don't think I'm quite adjusted to it still, um, because it's such a different way of of life, you know? It's a very different pace of everything. It's not, it's very, very hectic online, you know, because I get constant, approaches you know for uh, work uh, more than ever you know like uh, every day new work you know mm-hmm. and uh, it's all very hectic online and then you kind of left in the same spot it's almost like it's totally like i don't know turned around yeah it's hard to well are you i mean i'm i'm a lot happier to say generally with the fact i'm not flying around the world every other week you know, and I've, I've come to terms with that and actually enjoy it. And like you, you know, with that, that great observation about your wood pigeons and the great tip, you know, rediscovering what's on my doorstep has been a really, really enjoyable but cathartic in terms of the pressure I felt with not being able to travel. And now, you know, at my age, I'm, I'm quite happy not to get on an aeroplane. It is interesting thinking like that full year cycle that we've all gone through at this point. Uh, I think the last time I traveled was 
actually to New York at the very end of February, just as COVID was really starting to take off in New York. I was also in LA within that same week. It was like one of the most hectic weeks. And I traveled. So this is last year. Yeah, last year. And so it's been, I think this is the longest I've sort of been in place in Detroit ever in my, my life. And I'm not, you know, I travel, you know, I'm not a world traveler per se, but I have to travel um, quite a bit for work. And it has been interesting to sort of see the sort of return of the cycles. Like, Yana, you mentioned the birds mm. that are, are mating. And um, I live under a um, an airport uh, sort of hub, a major airport hub through path. And at first, the silence in the air was really profound. <laughs> um, and now it's kind of like it always still is a little jarring to see an airplane like flying over house like, oh, God, I can't imagine yet getting on an airplane at this point in my life. Um I'm just now getting to the point where um, my husband and I are going to be taking a, a field trip to do some sound recording about six hours from our house. And even that feels like a world of difference. Um, but I oh, noticed... Where are you going? Oh, uh, we're going... I just got a really interesting commission from uh, the Camden Arts Center in the UK to produce an audio essay. And I'm going to be exploring uh two parts of a story actually the first two parts because well the first part i can't fly to where i need to get to right now so um i'm going to where i can get to for the second part of the story which is in point pleasant west virginia um and it's going to sound a little silly um but i'm going down there to do recording um around the history of this strange uh, creature that is known as mothman um, and he wow. was uh, sort of like this harbinger of doom uh, that was very connected to the collapse of this bridge in Point Pleasant in the 1960s. But he, he, I say he, um, we're not sure <laughs> what the gender of Mothman really was. Um, but it's sort of based on uh, long lineages of folklore about these moth-like and bird-like creatures that communicate through clicks and pops and whistles and there's an old TNT production area down there that was used in World War II. And the igloo huts that they used to store the explosives are still down there. And that's generally where sightings would happen back in the 1960s. So I'm not necessarily a Mothman <clears throat> believer, <laughs> but I just sort of want to go and investigate the landscapes in which that legend existed. Um, so yeah. That sounds fascinating. <laughs> yeah, you must let us know when that's, uh, yeah. when that's published. We'll see. We'll see what how it turns out. But um, it is interesting. Oh, the other extreme. Oh, I don't know if you saw. <laughs> go ahead. I'll have to tell you this story. Yeah. It just it was so funny when I read it last night. Uh, I don't know if if Yana, you've seen it or, or Kristen. It was on the BBC News that somebody in Krakow in Poland reported this strange animal in a tree in downtown Krakow. Did you did you read this, Yana? No. Okay. No. What? And they were, and, and they noticed it had been there for several days, and and the the person who was seeing this animal was concerned, and and she told her friends, and the friends were keeping the windows shut, in case it was some strange bird or animal that would fly into the house. And in the end, she rang up this Polish wildlife charity, to say, can you come and take a look at this animal? Because I don't know if it's injured or because it's been in the same place for. A, several days now and people might think it's a bird of prey and it, or you know so it might be dangerous and so we're all concerned about it anyway they came and <laughs> came and had a look and found out it was a croissant it was a what <laughs> i'm sorry what was it it was a croissant 
you know, no. and there'd be that somebody had thrown it. <laughs> I mean, I could go for one of those Krakow croissants right now. <laughs> it's been a quite big one. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. Yeah. Well, that that anyway, seems so very not, appropriately not, linked not, to not unsound. Not as appropriate as, as moth man, but um, still no, an identified animal. That's really fantastic. Um, you know, one thing I noticed, and Chris, I know you've spoken about this, and I'd just be curious to get your perspectives on this, is that um, you know, during the first spring last year, during lockdown, um, when things were more properly locked down in, here in Michigan, um, I would go for, I'm a, kind of an obsessive walker, um, and I would go for these early morning walks. And one morning I saw a coyote crossing this major four lane road that runs through wow. um, my area of Detroit. And I thought, wow, that's really weird. But, you know, Detroit always kind of has like this almost brimming over of wildlife versus industrial landscape. So it wasn't that odd. But where it got really weird was about like two minutes later, I was walking, you know, next to this park that I always walk next to. And a blue jay just completely dive bombed me and like attacked me and <clears throat> shat all over me. <laughs> And so people were sort of like interpreting this idea of like nature being more everything, being more aggressive, more noisy. Um, But I think um, Luke Turner addressed this really effectively in his Nature is Healing panel that he did earlier at Unsound, where people are sort of projecting these ideas onto nature. So I was kind of curious to know, like, you know, did either of you experience anything profoundly more intense or different with nature? Or do you think um, that our ability to listen has just gotten more intense during the pandemic? Um, Yeah. Okay. No, you want to carry on, please. Uh, Yeah. um, If you, if it was a particular event that happened, you were, mentioning yeah just for this, if you had yeah. one um yeah yeah i mentioned the uh, earlier the you know the swan flying over and this kind of opening up of the space but i must also say i i, I traveled up within norway in the summer and i w- i went there um, because i heard there was a group of beluga there was there like a big group and i, I traveled for like about two hours up on the coast towards uh, the barents sea and that was pretty, I mean, uh, I was there in the three or four o'clock in the morning, you know, and it's all light at that time in the summer. And I kind of had the time, you know, I could kind of spend as much as I wanted, you know, at that time, it was no rush. Uh, but the belugas were not there. Uh, but then in the corner of my eye, as I was traveling back from there, I just saw, you know, the spray out in the, at sea. And it was a, a humpback there. And I realized it was it was two of them, you know, because they were coming out and um, coming out of the water uh, when they were feeding. You no, know? uh, they dive down and then they open their mouth and go up towards the surface. And also a calf that was jumping out of the water with a full wow. body. Wow. It was just so amazing. It was like wow. I was just standing there at three o'clock in the morning and this landscape and they were yeah. So I was going there to to <laughs> listen for the belugas, but instead, you know, I had this event. It was crazy, and I, I were able to go back several times there 
So yeah, now it's. Um, Have you heard yeah. them there at all, the beluga yana? Uh, no, I haven't heard belugas. Um, I'm hoping to be able to. Um, have a listen now actually i'm going up in the in the summer i hope this summer so uh yeah mm. uh, I, I was corresponded with valerie vagaras in tassadec on the st lawrence seaway because there was a beluga return there in numbers that hadn't been recorded before because all the boat noise stopped yeah and so the belugas, which were much further east yeah. down the seaway, started yeah. to come to come back to these places. And she was saying it was remarkable, you know, the, the, yeah. the difference. I just noticed it here where Maggie and I go on the coast for a walk. Mm. I think I might have told you this at Blythe, where we went on the beach that time. I've never, ever seen uh, bottlenose dolphins there. And we went halfway through the lockdown and there was about 20 bottlenose dolphins in, right around the harbour mouth, normally where there's a lot of boat traffic. They're not large boats, but fishing boats. And they were there on the ebbing tide, so they were just hoovering up all the fish <laughs> that were coming down the river. And there was adults and there was calves, really young animals, sticky, you know, parallel swimming um, with the adults. It was a remarkable, beautiful experience. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, and then as soon as the boat traffic started, they've gone, you know, you know what we have uh, Here, you know, we have, the, uh, because all of the Norwegians are staying home and not going abroad because they are really extensive travelers in Norwegians uh, when they're in the area holiday. What they've done now instead of buying boats and go to the cabins <laughs> along the coast, you know, and everybody is buying boats. boats. And so it's so noisy along mm. the coast. So I'm dreading the summer actually now because everybody is just going to the cabin. It's crazy amount of small boats all along the coast. And this is oh. going to totally influence the, 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 this is totally going to influence, um, you know, fish uh, and also mammals along the seals, you know, along the shore here and, uh, and cold, you know, mating. Oh, particularly the fish, remember, exactly. the, you know, the yeah. cod and herring. Yeah. Uh, um, um, so it's like it's been qu it's quieter in some places, but actually this is uh, more noisy because of uh, all the Norwegians. Mm. I hadn't thought away. about that. Yeah. 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 I think that. I mean, actually... my my experience, uh, you know, answering Kristen's question was was literally my backyard where I discovered because I couldn't travel and just turn my microphones into the back garden and discovered these things, which I was just ignorant of, you know, just forgotten what was on my own doorstep, like many of people do. I mean, Jan has mentioned her observations. And you, you know, you, Kristen, with, with what the Blue Jay and reclaiming those spaces. And what I think was, it, what was interesting to me and the conclusion I came to after about this time last year, because I've been recording a blackbird in, in our back garden, and there's a bird singing there at the moment. And I could hear it really clearly. And I live in the suburbs, the northern suburbs of Newcastle, which is quite a noisy place. So there's roads around us, there's an airport to the north. And of course, all that stopped at the end of March last year. And so everybody began to notice birdsong and tune into it. And a lot of people rediscovered listening 
to their own environment. The, what the conclusion I came to, and the people were saying, oh, Chris, you aren't the birds singing really loudly this year. And I don't know if they were, but there was certainly the blackbirds in our area were certainly singing more vigorously. And I think that's because they could hear each other. Because where I am in suburban Newcastle, there's lots of blackbird territories. Every, every garden almost has a, um, a pair of blackbirds. And the males sing to defend their territory and to you know, attract a mate, a female, and to engage the females. And I, I suddenly thought, because I could hear blackbirds in gardens up and down from our garden, that if I can hear them, then the blackbird in our garden certainly can. So the males, I think, started to sing much more vigorously because all of a sudden they realised they could hear their potential rivals, which in the past, that sound would have been masked out. So all of a sudden they discovered their own territories, um, the potential rivals in those territories. And that was, you know, it's not just some artistic whim for blackbirds, it's essential to their survival. Is that Charlie? Because if other males could hear those birds, the females certainly could. And what were, they were quite likely to do was think, oh, actually, even though I've paired up with the male at number 19, I quite like the song of the male at number 23. So I'm going to nip over the garden um, fence and mate with him and then maybe the one down the road at number 42. Because what that does, that increases her gene pool. So the eggs in the blackbird's nest may well have been fathered by several different males. And so that's been reflected this year, in that we've got loads of blackbirds in our back garden. Yeah. You know, it's done, they've done really well out of it. They've thrived effectively out of our absence, which is one of the things that interested me when I made the piece for, for Unsound. That's interesting. Yeah, um, Yana, I actually had some questions about your piece that you um, did for Unsound uh, Research. When I first heard it, I was, I guess I was just like, you know, I didn't read the backstory when I first listened to it. And just based on some of your prior work that you've done with hydrophones and things like this, um, I just assumed it was like a seawall or some kind of tempest storm or, or waves or something. It kind of had that kind of like very ominous sort of effect. Um, but there's there's definitely like warmth there too and as i found out afterwards after i'd listened to it a few times it was actually a recording of a tree on the farm where you're currently uh posted up and um i was wondering if you could just like talk a little bit about the track and like maybe give us a little peer behind the curtain of what your recording process looked like yeah it was um in the beginning of the pandemic here in the beginning of the uh, lock down here and uh, God, I'm sorry, but I need to do this again. Just you're hearing Charlie, right? No, it's good to hear Charlie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not seeing Charlie him for ages. Please, I was stealing Charlie. No, I steal it. Okay, yeah. And um, I was uh, here on the farm with my two daughters and uh, my mother and uh, and Charlie, the dog, and. Um, here we have like trees that are uh, there's a 
three, four trees that were planted when I was uh, young. So I can kind of see the time has gone, you know, by looking at the tree, you know, this mass has grown in the time I've been alive. Mm -hmm. And there is also a tree that's the age of my daughters. And uh, this particular one that has been there all my life and all my mother's life uh, that was planted by her grandfather. Uh, and this tree, well, it's massive. Uh, and um, I was sort of, it's a beautiful sound in it when it's uh, windy and it was quite stormy. At, and then in March last year, so I was invited to um, to make a recording for um, uh, Touch for the isolation um, uh, compilation uh, last year, and uh, I thought just to sit uh, under that tree. It's massive, you know. The branches are uh, large, out, so you just kind of can sit inside or the underneath the branches in the tree and recording there and be kind of protected um, from uh, the direct wind, but you hear it very well in the tree itself, uh, how it moves. Mm. And um, my my mother and my aunt, they hid here during the war, as my grandfather had to go to and grandmother went to Sweden uh, during the war and they had to flee the country. and. Uh, then um, they were here with their grandparents. So it was a kind of uh, this sort of hiding place where even under the tree of my great grandfather. So it felt good like a year ago in this feeling of urgency that it was very much in the beginning. Um, you know, of course, it's still going on. But, you know, then in the beginning, it was like really feeling extremely critical and very, very scary. Mm -hmm. It's not less scary now, though, but it's just, you know, in the beginning. So uh, this is where I did uh, the recording and the, com the composition um, where uh, around that sense of uh, hiding there under the tree. It's, it's a lot of other sounds in there as well. Uh, but um, I think also for the unsound, uh, the more and more kind of particular the question what I would want to um, um, uh, yes, yeah, it's uh, it's, it's always a bit difficult to talk about the compositions like that. I think you know, of course, uh, it this was meant to be part of a compilation, and I did not really know what the rest were. I were I know the story of uh, the compilation, you know, mm -hmm. so I made something that could kind of work inside of this thought. Mm -hmm. So it was not a separate uh, piece in that sense. Uh, but of course, some way it is, but it was always thought to be part of this um, other people's tracks too. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I think that's that's really fascinating. I mean, um, the echo making piece that I did for Unsound also kind of played with those ideas of sort of longstanding family memories, the misinterpretation of family lineages and purposefully blocking my family's indigenous lineage by like my grandparents, great grandparents. It kind of goes back and back and back and kind of reemerged during my lifetime. And I have these 
very strong sonic memories of my hometown and growing up there. I have a very complicated relationship with that place, but um, all through lockdown, it's been tricky because I've legally not been able to cross the border into Canada, where I'm from, just because of the blockage due to the, the pandemic. Um, so I've kind of echo making was kind of a way to sort of kind of cope with that um, inability to travel to my sort of ancestral homelands. Um, and the things that I remembered that were strongest in my memory were the sounds of cicadas buzzing, um, which make their way very strongly into the soundtrack for that film and it weaves its way into the essay as well, as well as like um, some starlings and blue jays and things like that. So um, in the interim, I've been uh, kind of over the course of the winter, I relearned how to do traditional um, beadwork um, by Mate, the Métis culture, which I'm part of. And so I've been actually beading these red-winged blackbirds onto a set of uh, traditional moccasins because that's kind of like the only way I can kind of like keep that tie alive right now other than occasionally talking to my parents on the phone. Um, but they are not like, you know, nature listeners <laughs> per se. So it's, I don't know, it's just kind of interesting how we find all these different ways to sort of like capture the landscape in its raw form and try to capture the embedded sort of psychic stories behind that raw form, which I think you've kind of done with that, your recordings, um, of the tree, literally trying to record the array of history, I suppose. I don't know if that's accurate or not but um <laughs> yeah i think I, I really just i really like here on the farm that these trees have been left to to live here you know and i want to also keep them living here they are home for so many uh, different species of birds and insects and mm. uh, mosses you know and they thrive here you know and also to see time in a tree you know i see okay i've been on the planet so long this tree is quite massive now and i remember it being very small you know and then looking up up on my great grandfather age tree you know it's like and there is also a tree of my mother it's a maple tree that was uh, uh, planted or let to grow and be big when she was uh, young so it's like you just see somehow how time passes by looking at the trees you know yeah uh, and I like this kind of body of the tree representing the time of me I mean not me I'm not saying a per, you know <clears throat> not me me but <laughs> like the, the the time that had passed because has a body in that tree mm -hmm. so I cool. like that <laughs> And Chris, there's this moment in your track on the Unsound compilation where there's this beautiful chiming sort of synth swirl and we're sort of transported into a completely different landscape. It goes from the blackbirds that you're recording in your, your backyard to this very coastal environment. Um, can you talk about that? And uh, I know the answer to this question, I just want listeners to share in, <laughs> share in, the, uh, in the stories behind those birds and how uh, the folklore behind those birds also. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I described, I was, I was fascinated by what I was hearing in my back garden with the blackbird, and I wanted to get <clears throat> an isolated recording of that individual bird, which is always quite a challenge. And of course, I had time to do that, and I had the place to do it. I could put microphones in my garden and run cables back alongside my bed, you know, so 
Perfect. I could make recordings while without getting out of bed. <laughs> and try and quietly turn the recorder on at sort of 3.30 in the morning without making waking Maggie up every night. Um, but so, you know, I could achieve that really close, very intimate, close perspective song. Probably the closest I've ever recorded those, uh, recorded Blackbirds. And, and so try and, on a micro scale, compared to Jan's tree, the, the world of that bird, that, its environment, its immediate environment. And then, of course, I was always aware of what was happening outside of my garden. And, of course, the interesting thing was, because I mentioned earlier, that wildlife thrived in our absence. You know, we're the worst possible thing for most wildlife in every respect. Um, and, and as soon as we could, I got out to Northumberland, up to um, the cliffs at Dunstanborough, to record the kittiwakes, the name the kittiwakes, which are, in English are onomatopoeic. So they say kittiwake, kittiwake. Um, and that is a very, this is a bird that has a very powerful resonance for me. And this part of the coast, because kittiwakes are seabirds. They are true seabirds. They only come ashore in March, usually, to, to, to make a nest and to reproduce. And the rest of the year, by um, August, they've gone back out into the open ocean, sort of pelagic, mostly. Um, but they're quite, for seabirds, they're, in, and in human terms, they're quite attractive-looking birds. They're pure white, with black tips to the wings and a yellow bill and this um, very sort of um, sculpted face. So people like kittiwakes because of their familiarity and, and the way that they look. But on this part of the coast, and, and because of the call, the kittiwake, kittiwakes, is quite strident. On this part of the coast, kittiwakes are thought to be or contain the souls of children who've drowned at sea because of the purity of the colour um, and their association returning to the land, and in particular, their voices so I'm, and, the, and the colonial nesting. So I'm always drawn to that. I mean, I've got grandchildren now, so I'm, you know, young grandson, so I'm, I'm really drawn to that aspect of, um, of the psychology of being around young children and how precious they are to me. And I just thought, well, how in, in a, a nation or an area where fishing, like the coast of Norway, is a, um, a very traditional activity and the loss of life associated with that would be very, you know, common. So the mortality would be very high. So I just felt an affinity with that and the birds and the fact that because we hadn't been there, um, for months and months, not, I mean, we humans generally on those cliffs, it meant nothing to the birds. They'd actually done really well because we hadn't been there. So I, li I like that closeness of an urban blackbird and that w true wildness of a seabird community and that unknowable sound um, and that experience of being out there. Interesting. That's great. Thank you. I love that sort of resonant folklore that is also somehow tied to the the sound of the kitty wakes is nothing like I'd ever heard before. I heard your recording, um, not having experienced those birds in person. And, and Yana, the sort of magic that you managed to pull out of this 
tree was just like so profoundly dense and, and just full of, of so much of everything, I suppose. Um, it was really um, fantastic that we all managed to, um, you know, produce these different projects for Unsound. And I know we're drawing up on, we're getting pretty close to the end of our hour. So um, I know I already talked about what's coming up next for me, which is I'm going in pursuit of <laughs> a cryptid in West Virginia. Um, but I'm uh, just curious if you could both talk about what's what's next for you, whether it's a sound recording project, visual project, wh whatever um, you want to talk about. Yeah, okay. Uh, yes, uh, several projects uh, in the making, and of course, a lot of things has been uh, delayed or, what should I say, uh, moved to uh, to next year. But the first one coming up, I'm working with together with Tony Mayat, and we uh, are making an installation out in, um, at the rowing stadium uh, at um, in Helsinki for Ichme. There's a commission there. So where it's called um, listening through the dead zones, and it's really about the the lack of these big um, zones in the Baltic Sea with uh, very low oxygen uh, levels, where mm. nothing can really live uh, there. When there's less than two milligram uh, oxygen per liter water, mm -hmm. fish cannot live there. So I'm looking into different listening into to that, and uh, it's also in relation to. I'm looking down at the lake here. It's close by my studio, the Lake Mjösa, where my uh, interest in the how we are in as human beings in our environments really started. You know, here I. Uh, this lake we're about to die from algae overgrowth and uh, becoming a dead zone, <laughs> so to say. Um, so it's it's kind of a little bit sort of full circle for me right now. I'm back here and then working on the project uh, concerning algae overgrowth in the Baltic Sea. So this is what I'm working on and then also um, on my way up to record uh, more of... Um, sperm whales and uh, the different species of whales up here in the north uh, of Norway, hopefully during the spring and summer. We'll see uh, how it goes and uh, many long-term projects. So yeah, <laughs> lots of exciting stuff. Super exciting. Chris, what do you have coming up next? <clears throat> well, I'm still attached to my back garden. <laughs> so <Good. laughs> yeah. I've had microphones out the last um, four weeks over spring. And uh, I've just been delighted with what I've recorded. Um, you know, it's easy to overlook what's on your doorstep. I mean, we've all observed that during the course of this conversation. You don't have to fly to the other side of the planet, you know, to experience the most remarkable sounds and, and, and wildlife experiences. You simply need to open your eyes and ears in particular to, you know, to what's happening outside so of course I, I do that and, and I love that I'm, <clears throat> I'm getting out into Northumberland as well because I'm working on a one thing I'm working on is a new uh, BBC television series called Green Planet about plants um, flora and I've got some very specific recordings I want to try and make the sound of beetles underneath tree bark and the sound of um, roots straining in, in strong winds. So I'm using my hydrophones as geophones to record 
vibrations under the ground rather than underwater. And so I'm discovering that world as well, that sort of subterranean underworld, which, um, which I'm enjoying doing. But also I just want to get out this spring and just do some recordings of the Dawn Chorus in a woodland that Yana and I both know, Holy Stone, where we went years ago, which is an old oak woodland. Um, and at the moment, the conditions are perfect for that. It's not for, it's not for any particular project. It's not for a commission. It's just I enjoy being out there and spending the night out there and soaking up all these sounds. It's very cathartic, yeah. you know. Well, I mean, we all know this, you know, and we've all articulated that through this conversation. But just there's nothing like being out there whether you're on the ocean or listening underneath or out in a, an oak woodland listening to sounds that have been evolving through thousands of years and just being within that environment, it's, um, it's a unique and really yeah. valuable experience. Exactly. Well, I, Chris, yeah. I don't think I could provide a more eloquent conclusion <laughs> to this talk. So thank you for doing that for me. <laughs> Um, I think this is this is fantastic. I think we've got um, a good amount here. But Yana, is there anything else you wanted to add? Um, did I miss anything that anyone really wanted to talk about? You guys both kind of answered my rambling questions very eloquently as we were kind of moving through things. So there's some things we didn't hit on my questions list, but I'm pretty happy with things. So yeah, it's good to talk. I always enjoy it because. You know, Yara and I both know that, that, that what we do is a solitary experience. It is, yeah, for when sure. When you put headphones on, only you can hear the world. When you're listening to the deep oceans, Yara does, or you're listening out in the forest, you cannot share that experience. And what we both do is, you know, um, is diffuse that back into environments, installations, film soundtracks, and share that experience. And it's always good to talk about it because, you know, say it's a solitary experience. So I always like these conversations. Yeah, no, it definitely yeah. great. And Chris, I have to just say, look, I have I have my binaural microphones that you recommended. <laughs> so they're coming with me down to uh, to West Virginia. Um, so, yeah. For Mothman. Yeah, yeah. And, and other things, I'll be sonifying bridges and waters and TNT huts and everything else in between. I think they'll be good until I can get out to do my project at Mount St. Helens. Um, well, I'll tell you what, Kristen, be careful in the TNT hut. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sound recordist exploded by unknown World War II era ordinances. You know, that's not a headline any of us want to read. I don't think that's... They're but cleared a great out. epitaph. <laughs> <laughs> but we do put ourselves in some precarious positions. Um, yeah. But yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But... Okay, well, I think this is really great. It's always a delight to talk to you, uh, Chris. This is the second time we've got to talk, and Yana, it's been fantastic meeting you, and um, it might be nice sometime for us just to chat outside of the structures of mm. the performance mm. of having a recorded conversation and just catch up about things um, in real time, in real life, things like that. Well, so, let, let us know yeah. what happens with Mothman. I will. Yeah, you must do. Yeah. <laughs> I will. I, uh, I also bought this weird little um, device that can pick up rogue wave, radio waves that are in the air. Like, it's really strange. Um, you can just, like, even hold this thing up to your body, and it's picking up, like, 
electrical resonances that are just naturally floating out in in the air. So we'll see if Mothman has anything to say. Cool. Yeah, it's all kind of like, like, I mean, this is obviously a bit humorous. Uh, This is meant to be a bit tongue in cheek. So, um, but it's also kind of, it's also serious in terms of like the the natural and ecological effects. Don't make fun of it, Christian. I won't. What the dark side. It's true. It's true, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. All right. There's always something, uh, there's always something uh, surprising happening. Yeah. And that's why. You know, there's always something you didn't expect yeah. in this kind of trips, you know. Exactly. exactly. And uh, that's something I really love. Every th- time, you know, there is a new something that I hear that's brilliant for 